Okay, guys, we're going to look today at 1 John chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 28, and we're going to go into uh, chapter 3, actually up to about verse 3. And we're going to talk about being children of God today and what that means for you and I. So he's going to go one step further now. He's talked about those who would deceive us and so forth, and again, reinforcing truths for you and I in our lives. Now he's going to get to the topic about you and I being uh, children of God, and he's really going to call us to remain in him, to remain in him. So uh, look with me, verse 28 and 29, first of all. And now, little children, so let me just stop. When you see that, you know that he's getting ready to introduce another section here, okay? And now, little children, abide in him. When he appears, we have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Okay, so let's talk about these couple of verses here. First of all, the exhortation is what we're going to see here, and there's a call to abide. John calls his readers to remain in Jesus. Abide means to remain or rest in Jesus. So he's calling you and I in our lives to remain in Christ, to rest in Christ in our daily lives. Okay? In fact, you know what? Uh, Psalm 37, you may want to write that down as a side note there. The first ten verses, I think, talk about you and I resting in, trusting in, committing our way to Christ to, to have confidence in God in spite of all the difficulties that go on around us. And, and I think this is the point that John's wanting to make here. He's calling you and I, as we live our lives out, to rest in, to, rem, to remain in Christ in spite of what's going on around us, okay? To rest in or remain in Christ. Now, the reason why we're to do that, now he's going to, he tells you flat out in this passage why you and I need to remain in him, why we need to rest in him, okay? He tells us is that so that they are ready when Jesus appears. The issue is, is for you and I to be ready for when Christ appears, because none of us know when Christ will appear. The reality is, is, is that it will be suddenly or shortly is what Jesus is saying, suddenly. Now, the reality is, is you don't want to be caught off guard. You want to be ready for when he comes. It's kind of like, I remember when I was in the Boy Scouts, we used to, our motto was, if you were in the Scouts, be prepared. Be prepared for anything. Well, you need to be prepared for when Jesus comes back. And, and how he's telling us to do that here is to remain in him, to, to rest in Christ, to rest in your faith. Now, the reason why we need to remain in him and be ready for when he comes, twofold reason, he's telling us here. They will ensure that they have confidence at his appearing. So when he does come back, if you're resting in him, if you're remaining in him, if that's the basis for your faith, you're resting in your relationship with Jesus Christ. When he does appear, you're not going to be freaked out. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're not going to be like, oh my goodness, what's happening? You're not, you're going to have a confidence before him. You're not going to be sheepish. Do you know what I mean? You're not going to be sheepish. Like, 
I'll help you understand the feeling. This is not the feeling you're going to experience. Like, for instance, how many of you remember as a child, your parents going away, maybe, maybe they were going to town, they were going to be in shopping for a while, and they left you at the house, and you were up to no good. Okay? And they told you that they were going to be home at 3. So you're planning on them being home at 3. But you'll have everything cleaned up. You'll be okay before 3. Well, here they came home at 2. And you know that gut feeling you had then? Did you know that sheepishness? Because you weren't ready. Do you know what I'm saying? And they kind of could tell by your body language that something was up. You know what I mean? Parents have that sense, right? You know, they, they know you. What's going on? You know? That's a sheepish feeling. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you and I remain and rest in Christ, if we're resting in that relationship, you're not going to have that sheepish feeling when Jesus comes back. That's what he's saying here. In fact, it goes one step further. I think it kind of goes with that. Remaining in Jesus will ensure that we will not... We are that we are not ashamed in his presence. Remaining in Jesus will ensure that we are not ashamed in his presence. That's the reality, that we're not ashamed when he comes, because we're resting in him, we're walking with him. You know, we're not going to be sheepish or, you know, we're going to have a confidence before him. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, then he goes on in verse 29, and he wants to... Help us to have an understanding. Because he's going to go back to the issue of, okay, what does your life reflect? What does your life reflect about what you believe? He's going to go there with this statement. Because he's using what is, in in verse 29, is what we call a conditional statement, an if-then statement. How many of you know that from grammar in high school about, you know, it's a conditional, if this is going on, then this is happening, okay? It's a conditional statement, and in the Greek language, there's like three or four different conditional statements. One that we see here is an implied reality, okay? So let's talk about that in a minute. So the word if here in verse 29 can also be translated since, okay? Since, so let's look here. If you look at verse 29, since you know that he is righteous, okay? Since you know that God is righteous is what he's saying here. John tells his readers that they understand that God is righteous. So you understand God's perfect. You understand he's righteous, okay? This is the point he's wanting to make here, all right? Now, the conditional statement implies the reality of the second clause. The conditional statement, which is the if statement, implies the reality of the second clause here. So we understand and we know that he is righteous. So now that's going to imply a reality for you and I concerning the second clause. And he says, here's what he's saying. Those who do what is right evidence their salvation. Look at what he says there. If you know, this is a reality, that he is righteous, and we know that, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Now, here's not, what he's, here's not what he's saying. He's not saying in this statement that someone who does right is okay. No, no, that's not the point. He's, his point is similar to, like, 
James chapter 2. If you have faith, show me your faith by your what? Works. So the reality is, is that if you know Jesus Christ, if you're born of him, you're going to do what is righteous. You're going to do the right thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what he's talking about here. So it's going to be evidenced in your life. Now, you don't do it for salvation. Understand that. You don't do anything for salvation. You can't earn your salvation. But because of salvation, your life is changed. Now you're going to do what's right. Does everybody understand? I want to make sure everybody comprehends what we're talking about here. So this is the understanding that you have. So then he goes on in verse 1 to 3, and he's going to talk about you and I being God's children. So look with me at 1 to 3. Behold... What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we should be, what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him, purifies himself just as he is pure. Okay, so let's talk about, first of all, the love that's bestowed. We see that in verse 1. John wants his readers to consider the love that God gave believers. He wants you and I to think about the love that he's given to you and us. Do you understand? The, The expression of love. In fact, look at what he says there. What manner of love. What is that talking about? He wants you to under, he wants you to really think about how great God's love is for you and what he's doing here. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, it's a great love. He has such a great love for you and I. So what does he wanted to do here? That love expressed in the in believers becoming the children of God. That love was expressed in believers becoming the children of God. This is how great his love was for you. He didn't just forgive you. Because he could have just said, oh, I'll just forgive him. He goes one step further. He allows you to become his child. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because that there's, there's, a, there's a definite difference in intimacy there, right? Do you, know, do you know what I mean? So, I mean, for instance, okay. We have a lot of parents here. And you think about the love and concern you have for your kids versus the other kids that your kids hang out with. You may like the other kids. You may even genuinely love them, okay? But when it comes to your own flesh and blood, would you say that's a stronger bond of love there? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you like the other kids. You may even love them. But you don't love them the what? Same way. Do you understand? He's going to go here and say to you that this is how great God's love is for you and I. That he just doesn't love us and forgive us. He makes us one of his what? Children. Okay? You're one of God's children if you know him and if you're saved. If you've put your faith and trust in him. You belong to him. Okay? You belong to him. So here's what he's saying here now. Let's go on. He's going to talk now in the rest of verse 1 and help you to understand 
that that's a concept that other people don't understand. What do you mean by that? For instance, because we are the children of God, the world does not understand us. You ever face that? Try to talk to somebody about what you believe, or you try to live your life for Christ, and you... And, and people just don't comprehend what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking. How many know what I'm talking about? In fact, it frustrates you because you'd like to, you'd like for them to see what you're seeing, but they don't see it. Do you, you know what I'm saying? You'd like for them to understand the relationship that you have with Jesus. They don't see it. They don't understand. They're like, what? Something wrong with your Wheaties? I mean, something? You got a bad breakfast there? What's going on? You know what I'm saying? They don't understand. Now, here's the reason why they don't understand. Now, he says that they don't understand you. Why? This is because the world does not know the true God. See, they're not going to understand you if they don't understand the true God. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is what John is saying here. Look at what he says there, verse 1. Therefore, the world does not know us or understand us because it does not know him, know God, know Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? So they're not going to comprehend Listen, okay, so like, for instance, some of you guys get fired up watching TV or sitcoms, and, and you notice that typically when they present a Christian on a sitcom or a TV program, is it a flattering picture? It's usually ridiculing, right? Or, or mocking, or like, how dense can they be type thing. You know what I mean? You get all fired up. Hurrah! I want a boycott. Boycotts don't work anyhow, all right? Here's the reality, folks. What do you expect? What do you expect? The reason why it's that way or that the world has that perception of you is because they don't understand. Because John is saying here they don't know the true God. Do you know what I mean? They don't know the true God. So then he goes on and he wants to talk about so that you understand, reason why they don't understand is because they don't know God, but it's also because it has to do with your nature of who you are as a believer in Christ, as a child of God. Look with me at verse 2. Look at what he says there. Beloved, we are the children, now we are the children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Okay, several things here about our nature. First of all, John states that believers are currently the children of God. This is not something you're going to become later on. Okay? Maybe you've heard somebody say, well, you know, when we go to be with him, we'll be his children. No, no. Look at what he says there. Very first thing, beloved. What's the next word? Verse 3. Now. What's now mean? Right now. He's saying, beloved, you are, now you are the children of God. He's talking about that you presently are currently the children of God as you are. You belong to him. Yeah, you're in a habit of body of flesh. Yes, you sin. But you do have placed your faith in Christ. And you're trusting in him. You're resting in him. So there, you're a child of his. And so now you're currently a children of God. Okay? Well, let's go on. What's the next thing he says there? The full nature of who we are as the children of God has not yet been revealed. You've not blossomed yet. Do you know what I mean? You've not become who you fully are yet. 
So here you are, you're a child of God currently, but that, that, there's something more about you later on. There's going to be something more, there's going to be something different about you. And we know from other passages of scripture, you and I are going to get a new body. You know what I'm saying? We're no longer going to be, we're going to be free from this body of sin. So the reality is, is that there's going to be something new about you. You don't know yet what you're going to be like. All I can tell you is it's going to be perfect. Isn't that wonderful? No more diet programs. No more hair color. Do you, know, do you know what I'm saying? There won't be a plastic surgeon in heaven. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you're not even going to worry about how you look. Because worrying about how you look has to do with our fallen nature now. Okay? The full nature of who we are as the children of God has yet to be revealed. What else is he saying here? We know that we will be like Jesus. He's saying, you, are, you already know that you're going to be like Christ. What does that mean, to be like Christ? Am I going to look like Jesus? Am I going to... No, no. You're going to have a resurrected body like Jesus. Do you understand? That's what he's talking about. You're going to be like Jesus. What does that mean? Well, do you remember Jesus' resurrected body? What can it do? Huh? Yeah, it flies, passes through walls. Remember, they're in the upper room and he appears. It's not, a, it's not just a ghost thing because they felt him, they touched him, he ate. But the reality is, is you're going to have a resurrected body. All right? You're going to have a resurrected body. And it says that we will what? See him. Now, the reality of that, we'll see him in all of his glory. We know from Revelation it says that we'll see God. Now, can you see God currently? Not, not in this human body, not in this flesh. See, there's so much more coming to you and I as children of God, okay? There's so much more coming to you and I. Is that an encouraging thing? Yeah, it should be. That's the encouragement. Now, he's going to go one step further in verse 3 now and tell you what you've got to do with it. Because you understand who you are currently and what you're going to become, He's going to tell you what to do with it now. All right? He's going to tell you what to do with it. Now look here. Look at verse 3. And everyone who has this hope. Now what's the hope here? Stop for a moment. What's the hope? What we're going to become. Being with Jesus. Seeing Jesus. Becoming like Jesus. Okay, that's the hope we have. All right? Look at what it says, verse 3. And everyone who has this hope in him, what does he do? Purifies himself. Just as he is pure, meaning Jesus is pure. Okay, so what's going on here? Because of this hope, because of this hope that we have in the future, believers should purify their lives. This is not an option. This is something you and I need to be actively involved in. See, because currently in our churches, especially in churches where we emphasize the doctrine of eternal security, there is a incorrect interpretation of that doctrine, and that's basically, I can do whatever I want, I'm forgiven. I'm going to go to heaven. I can do whatever I want. You know, I'll just ask for forgiveness later. That, that's incorrect, because the, the emphasis of Scripture, and we're seeing it here in this passage, is, is, okay, because I'm a child of God, because of what awaits me, because of what's coming for me, 
I need to do something about my life right now, and I need to what? Purify my life. Now, what does purify your life mean? Okay? I mean, I think everybody understands, like, a water purifier. Okay? You know, like in, in my house, down in a basement, I've got a filter thing that helps purify the Kerwin. Kerwinsville water is nice, and it's great, but i still got to put a filter on it. Okay? And a lot of you have filters. How many of you have filters in your home? Because you want to purify the water. Okay? Because you only want pure water. Okay? All right. Here's what's going on. To purify means to be free from the corruption of sin. So I'm purifying my life because of the hope I have of who I'm going to become because I'm currently a child of God. I'm going to deal with the junk in my life. Do you understand? I'm going to deal with the junk in my life. I'm going to purify my life from the junk. I'm not going to be satisfied with what's going on here in my life and just kind of like, oh, well, you know, it's my character flaw. Oh, you know, that's a hereditary thing. You know, all canons have this problem, you know. I'm not going to be making excuses. I'm going to be dealing with the junk in my life. And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is going to be revealing to you the things that you need to deal with. You know what I mean? You know, I think about it now. I've been a believer now 28 years. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Didn't go to church. But I've been a believer now 28 years. And the things that God dealt with me 28 years ago, they were a lot easier than the things God's dealing with me right now. Do you know what I mean? It's easier to give up a cigarette and, and quit drinking than it is to deal with attitudes or behavior patterns and deal with where they come from. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? It, it, sometimes it's the attitudes that are the root of the other issues. Okay? So, like, for instance, I may have gave up drinking and, drinking and smoking, but I replaced the cigarette and a beer with a cheeseburger. And in Baptist churches, that's acceptable. Do you know what I mean? But God's now dealing with me, why do I got to have a cheeseburger? Do you see what I'm saying? That's all part of purifying your life. Dealing with deeper actions. What I'm dealing with is the corruption of me. What is it in your life? I don't know what it is in your life. You know what it is in your life. God knows what it is in your life because you're a child of God and because you have that hope. He's calling you to purify yourself, to free yourself from the corruption of sin in your life. And here's why you're going to do it. Look at what it says there, verse 3. Just as he is pure. Who? Jesus is pure. He's our example. I'm doing this because Jesus is pure. I'm his child. I'm going to deal with the junk in my life. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm going to deal with the junk in my life. So, that's really, I mean, so he's not just giving us truths here to make us feel good about it. says, oh, yeah, I'm a child of God. Boy, I can't wait to be in heaven, get my new body, you know. You've got to do something with it now is what he's saying. Purify your lives. Deal with this stuff that's going on in your life right now. Okay? All right, any questions right now, so far? Talking about 
If you look at verse 28 and 29, the exhortation there, we need to be ready. And actually, think about it now. Me purifying my life in verse 3 is connected to what he's talking about in verse 28, right? That I'm resting in Christ so that when he comes, I have confidence and I'm not ashamed. I mean, think about it. The secret junk that you have in the closet in your mind, in your heart, that nobody knows, it would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? And then you have Jesus who knows everything. And we're going to stand before him? Anybody else? Anybody got a question? Yeah. Okay, that, that's the Apostle Paul talks, says that. Okay. Okay. When he ta- uh, Yeah, it can tie together, and I'll tell you how, Scott. Okay. The Apostle Paul says, and even in, in Revelation it talks about that they'll... They, An unclean person, somebody who's who's in sin, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, it ties in in this sense because earlier, verse 29, he gave the implied reality: if you know God's righteous, then he who practices righteousness is born of God. That's talking about your life is going to evidence that you're saved, but because you're doing what's right. All right, but if you have somebody who's habitually in sin, couldn't care less, maybe gives lip service. There, Paul says, don't deceive yourselves. He, in fact, he uses that word. Don't deceive yourself. They'll not inherit the kingdom of God. They're not going to be there. Because it's not your profession that saves you. It's faith that saves you. And faith then is manifested in a new life. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? You, with a new mind and everything. If you're still living the same old way, you're, you're not going to be a part And I think we understand that. We've talked about that before. Because if you go back to chapter 1 and 2, remember what he says. He said a couple of things here. If you say you don't sin, you're a liar. Truth's not in you. You know what I'm saying? If you hate your brother, what? You're a liar. The truth's not in you. He's talking about if your life evidences sin, not just like sins that we normally fall into, but it's a regular pattern of your life then, yeah, you're, you're not there. So that's when it talks about an unclean person. It's talking about an unbeliever. Okay? All right? Anybody else with a question? Or maybe that's caused you to think something. Everybody, everybody understand where we're coming from here? All right.